The United Soccer Coaches is proud to present the United Soccer Coaches podcast, presented by Team Snap and hosted by veteran soccer broadcaster Dean Linky. That's right, the NSCAA is now the United Soccer Coaches. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Start your free, no-risk trial membership today. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. We unite coaches at every level of the game around the passion of the game. Now, here's our host, Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and as always, we stay up to date. It's the North American Soccer League playoffs beginning this weekend. Yes. The North American Soccer League is in the news with U.S. Soccer and the injunction. We'll touch on that a little bit, but we'll get right to Neil Malone, the director of PR for the NASL. Then Mark Dos Santos, what a coach he is, leading the expansion team San Francisco Deltas into the NASL playoffs. After those two, Neil Morris, who's been covering the North American Soccer League since 2010, will get his take on what's going on with that injunction with U.S. Soccer. From there, we flip the switch to college soccer. Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches breaks down the season that's been so far and the games to watch this weekend. Then we go to Lori Walker, the head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes. They won the Big Ten on the women's side. They're the number one seed. They face Penn State on Friday in the semifinals for a shot at the championship game. And by the way, they're number nine in the country. And we wrap it up with Molly Paletto, assistant coach under the great Nancy Feldman for the Boston University. University women's soccer team. She's another fantastic member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. We kick off, though, with a spotlight on the North American Soccer League, and that starts after this message from Team Snap. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help customers save their time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Once again, here's Dean Linky. I am Dean Linky, and this is the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. And as we've been saying every week for the past several weeks, we stay current here on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. When it was NWSL playoff time, we talked to the NWSL. When it was Major League Soccer playoff time, you know who we talked to. USL playoff time, we went USL. Well, it's NASL playoff time, so it's now time to put the spotlight on the NASL. And to do that, we are joined by Neil Malone, the Director of Public Relations for the North American Soccer League. Neil, thanks for being with us. Thanks for having me, Dean. I appreciate it. All right, Neil, we've got to get uh, the tough stuff out of the way right away, and uh, you were kind enough to address one question and one question only, and I'm going to respect that. We know the news right now as the NASL is in court trying to get an injunction to remain at the D2 level with U.S soccer that has taken place this week your statement regarding everything that has taken place so far in new york yeah so dean as you said the nasl is think uh, it's seeking injunctive relief uh, against the ussf's conduct regarding the uh, divisional designations um, a, a lengthy court hearing was held on tuesday in brooklyn uh, the judge didn't make an immediate ruling uh, right then and there. That ruling we expect will come out sometime later this week. Um, you know, we were obviously thankful to be able to present our arguments to the judge, and we are certainly still hopeful uh, for a favorable ruling. 
Um, so that's kind of the update on that. In the meantime, we've got a couple of great uh, semifinal games that we're getting ready for this coming weekend. All right, and that's what the spotlight's going to be. So you've got the floor. Break down each of the semifinal games, the key players, the teams, the times, where it's televised, and take as much time as you need, Dr. Malone. Sure. Well, let's start uh, with the first game. So uh, we're gonna. it's going to be very cool on, on Sunday. We're going to kind of uh, be able to, to – own the spotlight on BN Sports, our great national television partners. Uh, there's going to be a Real Madrid game in the mid-afternoon, and then uh, we're going to start with our first semifinal, which is a 5 Eastern time kickoff uh, between the number one seed Miami FC against the number four seed uh, and the defending champions, the New York Cosmos. Um, I'll, I'll start with Miami, Dean, in the sense that you know, this is the most – explosive team I think that we've seen in the NASL modern era I'll call it uh, they have three of the top five goal scorers uh, from this year Stefano Pino, Enzo Ranella, and Jaime Chavez um, and that's not even talking about players like Poku, Mares, and Richie Ryan um, you know this team's loaded they won the spring and the fall title uh, the first team to do so and I, I also think that uh, Alessandro Nesta has clearly developed as a coach and, and, you know, showed why he's a top manager. So, you know, they have a, a big roster. It's full of players who are used to being starters, and he's been able to manage that and, and keep everybody locked in. So uh, I know they haven't gone to the playoffs before, but but I think Miami's going to be uh, really tough to beat, and, and we saw that, you know, in their Open Cup run as well. So that's kind of Miami FC. They'll be facing a Cosmos team that, that we're all familiar with, uh, you know, they're, they've now been to the postseason for uh, five straight years, uh, but they've had a, a little bit of an uncharacteristic year. Defensively, they've struggled, um, but they can still score goals. I think they have 13 in their last three games. Um, and Giovanni Savarese, I think everybody across the country, uh, you know, soccer at any level understands how good of a coach he is, uh, and he has that sort of postseason experience. So, the Cosmos will be tough. We've got players like Emmanuel Ledesma, Andres Flores, Ayose. Um, so they have a loaded roster as well. Um, and so they're going to be visiting Miami FC uh, at Ricardo Silva Stadium uh, on Sunday at 5 p.m. And that game's going to be on BN Sports USA, BN Sports and Espanol, and BN Sports Connect. So that's the first semifinal. Dean, do you want me to go on to the second one? Let's keep it rolling, my man. At 8 Eastern, uh, 5 Pacific out on the West Coast. Uh, so that'll be immediately following the Cosmos-Miami game on BN. Uh, those three platforms I just mentioned. Uh, 8 Eastern, 5 Pacific kickoff at Kizar Stadium right there in um, San Francisco at Golden Gate Park. You've got the Deltas, who are the two seed, hosting North Carolina FC, the number three seed. It's a really interesting matchup on the field. I mean... The Deltas are just rock solid. They've, they've probably been the most consistent team all year long, maybe with the exception of Miami. And, uh, you know, they're not going to blow you out. They're not going to do anything fancy. But they certainly make it difficult for every opponent that they face. Uh, Mark Dos Santos, who I believe, you know, you'll uh, talk to at some point soon, he pretty clearly has become one of the, the country's top coaches. Uh, he's got another shot at the Coach of the Year award again this year. Um, and he's brought teams to 
the final in each of the past two seasons. He's looking to make it three. Um, so, you know, the Deltas have a lot of experience in the back. Romuald pays there, their goalkeeper, Rainer uh, Ferreira, their, their top defender. Um, and then, you know, some guys that you know, Dean, Tom Heineman, Devin Sandoval, kind of those gritty forwards that they have up top and, and some skill as well in Pablo Diego and, and Kyle Becker. So the Deltas are a tough team, tough team at home as well. NCFC, um, who you know pretty well, you know, they're really interesting as well this year. I, I think that what sticks out to me about North Carolina FC is they've been able to do well against the top teams this year. And that's obviously what you need in the postseason. Uh, they also, you know, ended well. They only dropped two games in the entire fall season. And, you know, I've, I've you know, been involved in this league for quite some time. I think in past years, uh, NCFC or, or back then they were called the Railhawks. Uh, you know, the teams maybe seem to taper off later in the year. Um, but that hasn't really been the case uh, this year. So, uh, you know, Al Badawi and Deleuze in the middle. They've got speed in the form of Lang and Cipollani and Fortune. And then, you know, this new Brazilian kid up top, uh, Reynon Gorna, a midseason arrival from Botafogo. Uh, he's been really impressive as well. So those are that's kind of a look at the at the matchups. And once again, that San Francisco North Carolina game will be on be in Sports USA, be in Sports and Espanol and be in Sports Connect, which is sort of their digital platform uh, at eight Eastern on Sunday. Now I look forward to hearing it on BN, but by hearing it on BN, you won't be able to hear this. Do you roll your eyes when you're hearing that, Neil? Talk to me. <laughs> no, I love that call. I think anybody who follows the NASL uh, knows exactly where that's coming from when they hear that. And uh, I personally am disappointed I won't be able to hear that. <laughs> well, I appreciate it. I certainly will be watching it. All right, uh, final question here. Some of the awards have already been announced, I believe. Uh, what can you tell us about the postseason accolades for everybody? And end with Coach of the Year, knowing that uh, you are my segue to Mark Dos Santos, head coach at San Francisco. I, look, I mean, a lot of real quality once again this year in terms of uh, the action week to week. Uh, you know, lots of exciting games, lots of close games, and, and certainly individual performers. Uh, we just closed voting for all of the annual awards, and uh, we're going to announce, uh, we'll have announcements every day uh, the week leading up to the final. Um, but a few of them were just based on statistics, and I can highlight those winners. Um, Miami's Stefano Pino finished as the NASL's top scorer with 17 goals uh, in league play. That doesn't even count the hat trick that he had against Orlando City in the Open Cup. Uh, and this is his second uh, NASL Golden Boot Award in the last three years. So uh, a heck of a season from Stefano. Uh, also from Miami, uh, goalkeeper Daniel Vega. Uh, he's going to take home the NASL Golden Glove Award after posting a league low .88 goals against average, so giving up less than a goal a game. Uh, he really showed off his quality uh, this year and made some tremendous saves for, for Miami. Um, and then for our MVP award, we call it the Golden Ball. Several big names uh, in the running there, certainly Pino, uh, his teammates Enzo Ranella and Richie Ryan. And then Emmanuel Ledesma, the Cosmos, among others. So those are all names to kind of look for in that uh, in that MVP race. We'll see who ultimately takes that one home. And 
and of course our, our young player of the year award that's that's an award i really like uh, it's important to to us because it you know really some we've had some really good young talent uh, in the, the league this year players like new york eric calvillo uh, dre fortune who i mentioned on north carolina uh, jack blake on jacksonville armada and and um, and diego pablo diego who i mentioned on san francisco so that's another uh, award that we'll be uh, announcing next week so keep an eye on those names as as we kind of get closer to that announcement um and coach of the year i mean look look no further than than the coaches who are are in you know the championship in in the playoffs I, alessandro nesta he, he accomplished something that no other nasl coach has accomplished since we switched to the split season format and that's winning both seasons um but then again uh dean you you know following this sport it's very, very tough to come into a league as an expansion team and have immediate success on the field. So uh, take a look at what Mark Dos Santos has been able to do in San Francisco. Um, so I think those two names are, are near the top. And, and certainly Colin Clark and, uh, and, and Gio Savarese, they, they, their teams maybe had their ups and downs a little bit this year. But, um, you know, sometimes uh, it speaks to a, a coach's ability even more when you have that adversity. So. Those are all guys to keep an eye out for, uh, but boy, you know, with those Santos and, and Nesta were able to do this year, I, I, I have a feeling it might come down to them. And we'll talk to Mark Dos Santos coming up next right here on the United yep. Soccer Coaches Podcast presented by Team Snap. Neil Malone, I know it's been a tough week for you, a week that uh, you definitely want to get through and, again, put the spotlight on where it belongs, and that is the NASL playoffs. That's what you did for us. Thanks for doing it in such a great manner. Thanks for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast, Neil. Absolutely. Anytime, Dean. Thank you. That's Neil Malone, Director of Public Relations for the North American Soccer League. Coming up next, Mark Dos Santos, head coach of the San Francisco Deltas. They play North Carolina FC on Sunday in the NASL playoffs. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I'm Dean Linke. I want to thank Neil Malone, the Director of Public Relations for the NASL, for breaking down the playoffs and also breaking down the postseason awards. Make no mistake, he also indicated that Mark Dos Santos is a likely candidate to win the NASL Coach of the Year. And guess what? Mark Dos Santos joins me now on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Coach, thanks for being with us. Hey, thank you for having me. Well, it's a pleasure. It's playoff time. You know what that means, win or go home. And you did enough to be able to host a home game as North Carolina FC will come to town. It's pretty important to have that home field advantage, right, Coach? It is. It is, uh, especially the way we travel. Uh, when you talk about San Francisco going to to places like Miami, uh, New York, uh, Jacksonville, you know, it's a uh, it's quite of a long, a long flight, so it's special for us uh, to host, especially in the expansion year. It's very difficult to finish uh, in the top two in the league. I think we've been consistently the second best team in the league this season, and Miami has been consistently the best one. So it's it's good for, for us to host. 
a game home. Yeah, indeed. So basically you've earned the right to host that game. And, Coach, you've had success everywhere, but it's not easy to do it as an expansion team. The veteran leadership you have on this team with some youngsters is phenomenal. Talk about uh, the core of this team. I mean, your goalkeeper's phenomenal. Defensively, you're very, very organized. Look, uh, when we built the team here in San Francisco, we, we knew from a previous experience building the, the Ottawa Fury expansion team that um, you need players that have, every, uh, have already worked with you, players that understand the way you want to play, players that understand your, your training methodology. So that was the first thing we were careful doing. Let's go after some players that are, are going to be your core and are going to help the other players in the vision, in the, the culture of the club. And if you bring players that have already worked with you, well, it allows you to install a culture uh, faster in an expansion year. Um, then we, we can not only have players with experience, because uh, sometimes experience means, means age. Uh, and in this league where you travel so much and there's so many games, sometimes Wednesday, Saturday, Wednesday, like we had a run of uh, 28, uh, no, eight games in 28 days, then you need energy also. And that's why we went also after players that uh, are used to play in, in, in so, so many games in short time, short period of time. Uh, you need players that are energetic, that are dynamic to have the right mix. And I think that mix of experience and energy uh, have helped us uh, reach, reach one of our goals until now. It doesn't hurt to have an outstanding coach leading the team. And I think it's because of your coaching, and I know you're a humble guy, but the, and I already mentioned, the organization of this team, when you look down, I mean, those walls of four, they move together on a string. You got to be pretty happy knowing you can sit there and your defense and midfield are going to work together so consistently. It's tough. I thank you for, for the words, but I, I, I just work very hard. I, I'm a coach that is very passionate about what I do. I, I, I try to pass all my passion and commitment towards the players. Um, I've been carefully, uh, careful to, to analyze my opponents every game and to analyze strength and, and weaknesses. And for me, training is very, very important. I think that it's one of the weaknesses in what I saw in North America. I think a lot of training sessions in some clubs are not related to the model of play, are not related to the way you play. Um, it's disconnected between the physical part, the mental part, the tactical part. And I think one of the, the secrets maybe in the last years is that I've been incredibly uh, focused on, on, on analyzing training sessions and prepare training sessions with the most detail possible. If you're concerned with training, uh, you, you, you're going to have a better chance of having success. You can expect as a coach that you're just going to train in a general way and then go in front of a board, put X's and O, and expect that the players are going to apply what's on the board. You need to, to work on your model every day, and that's something that I believe a lot in and has helped me in my career. Well, it's certainly working for you. Something is also working right now for North Carolina FC. I think you very astutely said the two best teams are Miami and San Francisco, but one could argue that of late, San Francisco and North Carolina FC might be the two hottest teams. You two demonstrated that in your last matchup. It's certainly not going to be easy-peasy against North Carolina FC, Coach. No way, no way. I, I look. I know Colin in 2009. 
it's funny, the last time we played in a semifinal game was uh, Montreal Impact against Puerto Rico Islanders. And now the world is so small, we meet again in a semifinal, but in two different clubs. Uh, but one thing I, I know is that, first of all, the four games we played against North Carolina don't mean absolutely nothing. Uh, more, uh, the majority of the games were played by one goal difference. So we tied, we won 2-1. It was very tight all the time. And when you're talking about, yes, we've been, we've been consistently the second best team in Miami, the first best team. But we can't forget that when you get into a playoff mode where it's only one game, in one game, anything could happen. In one game, uh, New York Cosmos has a lot of experience. Uh, in one game, New York could go and win in Miami. In one game, Carolina could come and win in San Francisco. And I'll give you an example of that. I think that, that, that Miami FC is a much better team than Cincinnati of the USL. But in my opinion, much better. But in one game, Cincinnati knocked out Miami. So when it comes to playoffs, you, you have to stay humble. You have to forget the games you played against your opponent. And the only game that matters and will matter is the game of Sunday. Here with Mark Dos Santos, the head coach of the San Francisco Deltas, who on Sunday will face North Carolina FC in the semifinal knockout round of the North American Soccer League playoffs. All right, Mark Dos Santos, success at Montreal. You went to Brazil, Ottawa Fury FC. You won with them, Swole Park Rangers. You've had to bounce around a little bit just because of the nature of the game. But tell us a little bit about you, Mark Dos Santos. Where were you born? Where did you grow up? When did you come to Canada? How did you end up here where you are right now? Yeah, so, you know, it is the nature of the game. Every coach wants to be in a perfect place, in a stable place. Every coach wants the job of Arsene Wenger or uh, or uh, Alex Ferguson, and you stay in a place for years that it's comfortable and great. But the nature of the sport is not like that. And when you accept to become a professional coach, you have to accept the word, the word instability in your life. Um so, so that's something that I live with, uh, me and my family, uh, for all my career. But I've, um, I, I come from a soccer family where my, my, my father was a coach, where all of me and my brothers were playing and involved with soccer. Uh, out of, when I was 10 years old, I went to Portugal, lived in Portugal until I was 22. Lived in Mozambique, close to South Africa, with, with my parents from from 22 to 24, more or less. At 24, I came back to Montreal. Uh, then I started my UEFA coaching license, internships at FC Porto, at Boa Vista, at, uh, at Chelsea uh, for one month. And uh, learning the game, studying the game, I realized at a very young age that I won't be a top player. So I started studying very early to become a to- uh, the topest coach I could. And um, all of my, all of the investing, uh, investment on learning and, and, and spending time in professional clubs in Europe has allowed me to develop a vision, to develop a methodology. And then I needed a break. I just needed somebody to believe in my work and to believe in what I did. And that person was uh, Nick, Nick DeSantis from the Montreal Impact. Nick uh, believed in what I was doing. And even if I was a young coach back then, they gave me the opportunity to prove myself in the Montreal Impact Reserve Team, back then the attack of Trois-Rivières. And then from there, I got my chance to coach the Montreal Impact. And, of course, winning the, the USL in our first season together has allowed me to, to start a career and, 
and now to be where I am. Big fan of Nick DeSantis. He actually played one year professionally in North Carolina. Love him and used to love the connection between DeSantis and Dos Santos. You guys were an unbelievable pair. All right. Obviously, uh, the job has been tougher because of all the rumors around the club. It's pretty amazing how you and your players have just marched on. Talk about that fortitude, that strength of your team. Yeah, we never allowed what was said outside to, to affect what we believe inside and we took it as if i was in my last year contract as a coach if the players were all playing in uh for for in their option year uh we we took it as at the end of the day we have to do this for us we have to do this for the locker room we have to do it this for a better future for all of us and we just went on uh with our business for that you need a coaching staff that has a very strong mentality and uh, is uh, has a good character, and you need players that have an incredible, incredibly good mentality, good attitude, um, good personality, and it's incredible. Maybe in in 170 sessions that we had until now, I, I would count with, with with one end the bad days and the bad sessions we had. You know, I, I, we're lucky that we chose players to come to San Francisco that have an incredibly good mentality and personality. There's no ego in our locker room. Nobody thinks that they're bigger than the club. Uh, everybody knows that we depend on each other to, to be successful. And I think that's what has helped us move forward. That's such a great answer, and certainly you've demonstrated that all year long. Okay, as we're winding down, there has also been very positive rumors about the notion that someday the man that you're hearing right now on this podcast, Mark Dos Santos, could lead the Canadian national team. We know you're going to land some big job. If San Francisco goes away next year, it'll have to happen because you're legit. But what about being the head coach of the Canada national team someday? What would that mean? This is uh, one of, one part of my dream. Uh, you know, I, I'm born in Montreal, even if I have a big part of me that is Portuguese because of my parents and and the fact that I lived in Portugal for so many years. But I'm born in Montreal. My wife is Canadian. My kids are are are, are all Canadian, and I have the dream one day to to help Canada uh, grow in their program, to help Canada uh, become better. And uh, and to prove that Canada could be successful with a with a Canadian coach, that's what I want to do. That's part of my dream. I I I really believe that the that position is only waiting for me. To be honest, and I'm not saying this in a in a cocky way. I think that if you have a dream, you have to 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 believe that that the position is going to be there for you one day. I don't know when. It could be in five years and 10 years but 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 it's it's part of a dream that i have one day to to reach that level and i think look when when you're in a, any kind of business in life you have to aim for the top you know because if you aim for 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 one of your dreams well you're never going to be comfortable in your work you're always going to keep working towards and pushing towards that dream and that's why I, I hold myself accountable to that. Your dream, perhaps also the dream of the Canadian Football Federation as well. Mark Dos Santos, outstanding interview. Always enjoy talking to you during the games as well. Congratulations on a great year, albeit through some tough, trying times. Good luck against North Carolina FC on Sunday and perhaps the week after as you try to claim a trophy in San Francisco. Mark Dos Santos, well done. Pleasure being with you. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you. All the best.
Take care. Oh, my. How cool is Mark Dos Santos, head coach of the San Francisco Deltas? I know you felt his coolness through this podcast. Okay, it has been a trying, turbulent time for the NASL this week. Wanted to honor Neil Malone's request to only address the injunction against U.S. soccer with one question. But with more on that and perhaps even his thoughts on the future of the North American Soccer League, we'll be joined next by Neil Morris, the host of the Inverted Triangle Soccer Podcast. He has been covering the NASL since 2010, and he'll break down the latest on what's happening with that injunction and so much more. It's Neil Morris next on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. The NSCAA is now United Soccer Coaches. We help you develop into better coaches so you can develop better players. We aren't changing who we are, just what you call us. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. I am Dean Linke, and we started off with Neil Malone, the fine PR director for the NASL, and Mark Dos Santos, the fine head coach for San Francisco. What a coach he is and probably going to win the coach of the year for the NASL. Neil Malone was outstanding knowing that the NASL is going through a lot of big news right now. The injunction in court in New York, he could only touch on that. So with that, it was fitting that uh, we get somebody that's been covering the NASL for quite some time, and that's Neil Morris. He is the host of the Inverted Triangle Soccer Podcast, been doing that show for the last two years. It is indeed fantastic, and it's always been on top of everything NASL. He's also been a key contributor to WRAL Sports Fan. He's been covering the NASL since 2010 and also covered the USL for a little bit in 2009, so he thought it was fitting to put a bow on the current situation of the NASL with Neil Morris. Neil, thanks for joining the United Soccer Coaches podcast. Dean, thank you for having me on. It's always great to talk to you. And by the way, I will admit that my media vote for NASL Coach of the Year did go to Mark DeSantos, just to tie into your previous guest. Well, and that's a a great pick, I think. The job he's done out there under what uh, has clearly been trying times as well has been impressive. I think you'll enjoy the time I spent with him. Wouldn't go into detail on what he's going to do to beat NCFC, but he would go into detail on uh, what it's meant for him to coach at the different levels. All right, let's get right to it. You know, Neil Malone, he had to play it straight. I respect that greatly and and wanted to honor his request to only, you know, answer one question about the injunction but not talk – specifics but you sit in north carolina there are a couple big murmurs coming out of all the news on the injunction so we're going to start with that the news of where north carolina fc is going to play next year and also perhaps some news on san francisco take it away yeah some of this came uh, as a result of revelations that were made uh during the argument on the preliminary injunction slash mandatory injunction however you want to couch it uh in the Eastern District of New York courtroom yesterday uh, during during a hearing involving the NESL's lawsuit against the U.S. Soccer Federation. Uh, so, so a lot of these revelations, if you will, were made during the arguments of counsel uh, to Judge Brody. Uh, one of those involves the Deltas, uh, Mark DeSantos' team, who it, it's been an open secret for quite some time that that team was on 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 verge of, of folding this year and i think uh... that was confirmed further by the attorneys during their arguments that the, the deltas are not confirmed for the nesl or any league for next year uh... i, I think if there's a slight qualification to that yeah, if if the deltas 
find an, uh, an investor who wants to come in and keep the team alive in some form next year under the Delta's name. I, that could keep the team alive, but right now that doesn't appear likely, nor has it, has it been rumored. Uh, and yesterday's revelation was just further confirmation of that. Uh, the the other bit of news uh, was something that had been wildly speculated, uh, with good reason, and that being that North Carolina FC appears to be on its way to the United Soccer League, or USL, uh, regardless of, of what happens regarding the NASL's lawsuit. Uh, but, you know, folks have been asking me for a long time what I thought they, what I thought North Carolina FC was going to do. If you recall, last year during the sanctioning saga between the 2016 and 2017 season, there was a lot of well-founded uh, rumors that, that the, the, the then Carolina Railhawks might be on their way to USL. But uh, I don't think uh, there were there were obviously discussions between the club and USL, as there were with several other clubs. But it never really came that close to happening in the end. Carolina stayed in the NASL. Steve Malik's team stayed in the NASL. But Steve Malik took a, a bit of a de facto leadership role within the league and ultimately in U.S. soccer. Well, uh, a lot's happened in the last 10 months or so. And it, it has been apparent for a while, and again, we could get really detailed as to the reasons why, uh, but the NASL remains on shaky ground. Uh, I think the decision by U.S. Soccer to initially not sanction them, uh, the league for Division II uh, status next year, not only set in motion the lawsuit that I referred to, but appeared to also set in motion North Carolina's uh, efforts behind the scenes uh, to initiate uh, withdrawal as a member of NASL LLC and a presumptive move to USL, the only known, well, presumptive Division II league next year, that technically their their divisional status for next year hasn't been decided either. Uh, so that, that appears to be a move that's in the works uh, for a variety of reasons. Uh, I don't have any insight as to whether it has officially been consummated, whether a contract has been signed or approved. Uh, I think probably what has happened at most, given the revelations in court yesterday, that North Carolina may have given the NESL uh, notification of their intent to withdraw. Uh, whether that has actually happened yet or not, I, I, I kind of doubt. Uh, I, but mainly because I think the resolution of the preliminary injunction hearing makes a big difference as to how that withdrawal may come about. Mainly, you know, what type of termination fee might have to be paid and what amount it might have to be paid. A lot of that hinges on whether the NASL remains D2 next year or not because of the membership agreement of the league. So that's a long way of saying that it appears that it's further confirmation that NCFC may be in USL next year. All right, only got two minutes left with your crystal ball, Neil Morris, and uh, you get paid sometimes to you know, predict things. What uh, do you think will happen to the NASL, and what do you think will indeed happen to North Carolina FC? Well, I think North Carolina FC is on its way to USL. Folks who asked me that repeatedly last year with the presumption that it was going to happen last year, I told them to, to slow down, that it was not a definite thing. And, and frankly, behind the scenes, I rather suspected that if the NASL continued, that, that NCFC or Carolina would stay with the league. Uh, 
this year I don't see it. There's too many reasons uh, that, that North Carolina needs to part ways with the NASL, uh, not just Steve Malik's pending bid with MLS, but also the fact that he has an NWSL team, which is run by the United Soccer Federation. Uh, he, he has developmental academies that are tied to the United Soccer Federation. He's a member of the board of directors of the USFL. It just becomes untenable at some point to remain the member of a men's league that is involved in a lawsuit against the Soccer Federation, regardless of the merits of the lawsuit. I'm not passing judgment on that. As far as the NESL is concerned, geez, Dean, I don't know. Uh, it is a 50-50 shot on whether I, I think, after sort of trawling through the transcripts of yesterday's hearing, whether they're going to get a preliminary injunction uh, to remain D2 next year, which is their way of trying to keep the league alive for another season. They're, they're doing their best to cobble together a bunch of teams for next year through various uh, means. Um, you know, going into yesterday's hearing, I thought the NHL had an above average chance of getting a preliminary injunction. After reading the transcripts yesterday, again, I think it's about 50-50. But frankly, here's what I'll tell you now. It's the same thing I told you last year. Whether they're able to cling to life next year, they, they they haven't shown the progress over the last 12 months that they needed to show to stabilize the league. And in many ways, they're worse off now than they were a year ago. So even if they get an injunction to remain D2, it's be- becoming increasingly uh, likely that they're just prolonging the inevitable. And I hate to say that, but that's what it appears. Well, is Neil Morris. He is the fine host of the Inverted Triangle Soccer Podcast. He is a lawyer. He is a movie critic. He is a gentleman and a scholar, and he's kind enough to share his wisdom. And uh, like you, I think you agree. We certainly had some great memories in the NASL during our time with North Carolina FC and wish them well no matter what happens. I think you can second that, Neil. And, um, Neil, thanks so much for being on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. Always fun to spend time with you. Always, Dean. Anytime, I'd love to come on. Managing your club or league shouldn't feel like a second job. With Team Snap, it doesn't have to. They help their customers save time and sanity on tasks such as communication, registration, scheduling, and more. Bring your club or league into the 21st century with Team Snap. Go to TeamSnap.com to learn more. Now, here's your host, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. We started the show talking NASL because the NASL playoffs begin this weekend. Now we move right into college soccer. And you know what? I'm tired of talking for him. I got to bring him on. Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches, does such an amazing job every week picking out the top games to watch. And Rob, it's hard to believe we're already at this stage. Conference tournaments underway. There'll be tons of women's teams crowned tournament champions this weekend. The NCAA selection show is on Sunday and the NCAA tournament for the women start next week. Can you believe it, Rob? Yes, Dean, it is a very exciting time. And yes, it is hard to believe we're already at this stage of the season, but some of the examples of the excitement already, South Carolina, number three ranked in the United soccer coaches poll. They just won the regular season for the SEC and they were upset by Arkansas in the quarterfinals of their tournament. So this is on the uh, stage right now of exciting drama for college soccer. And it's on the stage to be looking at highlights. Let's get some of your highlights first for the women this year. Well, right now we still only have one team in the United States that hasn't lost any games, and that's the University of Wisconsin-Milwaukee at 15-0-3. 
And if you look through the national top 25 rankings, you have the pretty normal listing of programs from the A5 conferences that pretty much populate the top 25. But some really interesting things have happened through the years with some standout teams. Central Florida, for instance, won the American Athletic Conference, and they're at 12-1-2, and and in that, their wins, they beat North Carolina this year. Rice has won Conference USA, and they're at 12-2-2. Princeton's on top of the Ivy at 13-2-0, and Pepperdine on top of the West Coast Conference at 13-2-3. And all of those teams have hung very strongly in the top 25 throughout the season. So it'll be interesting to see what kind of noise they might be able to make in the national tournament. And highlights for the men, Rob Kehoe. Well, one team that hasn't lost yet, Indiana University. And unfortunately for them, last week, with the tie at the top of the conference prior to the final game of the regular season, IU tied Michigan State. And Michigan, with the win over Maryland, leapfrogged over them to win the regular season conference title. But IU will now battle in the Big Ten tournament, but they're the only team that hasn't lost. But then there have been some other really strong performances. At number five, Western Michigan at 14-2-1 this year in the MAC and Air Force out of the WAC. They're number 14 in the United Soccer Coaches Poll at 13-1-3. And one of the things I think is going to be very important to watch for the men as we complete the conference tournaments and regular season play this week is the steady rise of Akron. Akron, typically a very strong team, but they didn't start out well, but they've ascended to number 10 in the nation, and they're now at 12-3-1. They're 10-1-0 in their last 11 games, and in that time they've outscored opponents 28-5. to They've had wins over Michigan State, Syracuse, Notre Dame, Pittsburgh, and West Virginia. So keep an eye on Akron. Their only loss in that time, I might add, is to Western Michigan, who sits at number five. Incredible. Well, every week, as uh, you know, we read the top five games to be at for men and women, and now you're on. So you can just tell us, Rob, take it away. Well, the final weekend for the Pac-12 features local derbies, and two are of the college rivalry primetimer variety with big NCAA RPI points on the line prior to tournament selection. Up north, you have Pac-12 champion Stanford, and they're hosting Cal at the farm. Then we go to Tinseltown, and UCLA and USC duel in Westwood for the second-place spot in the conference in both for high seeding in the NCAA tournament. Three and four go to the ACC. Two semifinal highlights in the tournament at the MSUC Health Stadium in Charleston, South Carolina. And first is Duke and Virginia, and the Cavaliers certainly would like to switch the script from last week when they lost to Duke in regular season play, but certainly Duke intends to hold serve in pursuit of claiming an ACC double on the weekend. And then we're going to have a North Carolina research triangle duel with North Carolina State appearing in the ACC semifinals for the first time in 22 years, and they're going to face the Tar Heels who are an ever-present championship team, and we know they're always hungry for more hardware. These two did not even meet in the ACC regular season, so this will be a, a new game for both these teams this weekend. 
And the fifth game on the women's side is fresh off that national instant classic of Ohio State and Penn State in football. The regular season Buckeyes and the fifth seed Nittany Lions women's soccer teams are going to compete for a place in Sunday's conference final in the Big Ten. It's very unusual for Penn State not to be the top seed in the tournament, so I'm sure that they want to finish being crowned at least the conference champions for the Big Ten. So those are my top five women's games. And how about for the men? Well, the Pac-12 still has nine points on the table, and two key matches are featured in the Bay Area. First, Stanford has 19 points, and they host UCLA that has 12. Stanford has a foothold on the championship and can clinch with a win, while UCLA is trying to get back above 500 for the season to get into the NCAA tournament conversation. Then the second game, and again, UCLA is featured in this. They have a quick change, and they have to go over to Berkeley to play Cal. Cal also has 12 points. Cal's had a very good season. They're trying to secure their position with NCAA tournament bid. And the Bruins, for them, this is a must-win weekend. My third game is the Big Ten tournament quarterfinal with Maryland wanting to break out of their funk having lost four games in a row and this first time in Sasha Sarovsky's 25-year term at Maryland where they've lost four in a row and they face Wisconsin in the Big Ten quarters and this is fresh off a couple weeks ago when Maryland went to Madison and played the Badgers and they had a very thrilling five to four game in which the Terrapins prevailed and certainly Wisconsin, they need probably at least one or two signature wins in the conference tournament to secure a position in the NCAA tournament. For them, this is a must-win weekend as well. My fourth is an American East game where the leader, Vermont, has 15 points, and they're going to have to travel through the mountains to the Granite State to meet New Hampshire. New Hampshire's on 12 points, and they're chasing Vermont for that top spot in the America East. And my final is drama in Dallas. SMU has 13 points, and they host UConn. UConn has 12, with the winner that will claim the AAC regular season title and earn the top seed for the conference tournament. Although, a draw in this game and a South Florida win against Temple would mean an SMU and South Florida tie at the top for 14 points. So there's a lot of drama on both the men's and women's side coming up for this weekend, and all with either conference championship significance on the line and add to that then NCAA tournament selection points that are being accumulated with a view of getting into that tournament. Phenomenal breakdown. Rob Keogh, the director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches, always gets me amped up. And one of the big games he talked about, Ohio State, Penn State women, Lori Walker, 20-plus years leading the Buckeyes. She joins me next. Right now we say goodbye to Rob Keogh. Rob, great job as always. All right, Dean. Thank you. Take care. By being a member of the United Soccer Coaches, you are a part of the world's largest network of soccer coaches. Here, you can find coaches who are passionate about bettering themselves and their players. Go to unitedsoccercoaches.org to find out more. Now, once again, here's our host, Dean Linky. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches, doing a great job putting the preview on the women's conference tournaments. And, of course, he had heavy emphasis on the Big Ten. Why not? 
The Big Ten has been outstanding this year, and better than outstanding has been the Ohio State Buckeyes in her 21st season leading the Buckeyes women's soccer team. Head coach Lori Walker-Hawk. That's right, the hyphenated name now as she's recently married. Lori, so great to be with you. Thanks for being on the program. Thanks for having me. Well, let's get right to the Walker Hawk, right? Uh, you you yeah. bit the bullet. You're married now. Tell us all about that. Yeah, I uh, got married this summer in July. Uh, wonderful gentleman, Christopher Hawk. And uh, we've been together over, I guess, six years now and um, got married up at Lake Erie. It was wonderful, beautiful day. And yeah, everything's good. I've gone hyphenated professionally. Um, just because I didn't think anybody would know who I was. So, yeah. <laughs> Well, anybody who follows women's college soccer knows exactly who you are, and even international soccer for that much, because you are also one, in my opinion, one of the great analysts of all time. And who knows, maybe when you ever do hang it up, you'll be right back in the booth because you're so great at it, Lori. I mean that sincerely. Let me remind everybody that uh, Lori Walker is a UNC graduate, two-time Big Ten Coach of the Year. Make it three-time Big Ten Coach of the Year as she just won it again. Led the Buckeyes to 11 NCAA tournament appearances. Make it 12 now in the last 16 years. And just last year, you advanced the NCAA tournament for the seventh time in the last eight seasons. So now it's eight of nine. All of that basically says you've got the Buckeyes rolling. Things are pretty good right now in Columbus. Yeah, it's really been, um, I mean, it's been an amazing 21 years, but in, in particular, I've really enjoyed this team and uh, the staff that I have to work with this year um, have just been fantastic. It's just, um, you know, it, I think a lot of things click right when the staff is all moving in the same direction and, um, you know, and the players really are enjoying themselves. So, I mean, it's, a, it's an easy place to go to work every day. Well, you think about the Big Ten, Penn State's always there. Minnesota gets better and better every year. Northwestern is changing the landscape. And I can kind of say you ran away with it, you know, five points clear of the next one. Were you expecting this great a regular season for your team? Well, that's the thing that's funny about the Big Ten. You know, um, we went into that last game, and we were either going to be outright champions or co-champions, potentially. And, um, you know, we wound up being five points ahead of everybody. So I've been in the opposite position a year ago. You know, we were due to finish fifth going into the last game, and we wound up finished tied for eighth, which put us at nine. So, you know, it's always always a tight finish, uh, which makes it exciting. You know, the season never never gets boring in the Big Ten because it's – it's always a small margin. Um, we talk a lot about that with our players. You know, one goal can be the difference. Uh, one point can be the difference between two or three spots. So, in particular, this has been a, an interesting year in conference. Lori, do me a favor. Name names. We're all about uh, dropping names on this show. But, uh, you know, I know you're probably 15, 20 deep on your team, and everybody's got value. But name the big names through the spine of the team that have helped you uh, have such a great season. Well, I mean, obviously, I always start in goal because that's uh, what I was. So I always start with our goalkeepers, Devin Kerr. Uh, is a dual citizen. She's played for the Canadian youth programs and, and the U.S. programs. And she's just having a fantastic year. She is a junior for us, and it just seems like everything's suddenly clicking. Um, she's done a great job in the pipes. And, you know, we really set some goals about our shutouts this year. And, and she's been a big, pivotal piece of that. Um, you know, sitting in front of her, Morgan Walcott, who is the Big Ten uh, Defender of the Year, Stands at six feet tall. She actually is a sixth-year senior. She had two ACL tears, and uh, we've been fortunate to, you know, keep her around. She's in the second year of her master's program at Ohio State, so she'll graduate with two degrees and uh, and some hardware. So she's done an amazing job at center back. She's just a great vocal leader. Um, you know, I was joking today that she kind of finishes my sentences before I even start them. So you know, it's just a, a coach on the field that 
makes our job even even easier. Um, you know, and then in the back line, we've got two outside backs that I think have been really the difference for us this year. Um, Marie Mousset plays on the right side. She's a Canadian international, had World Cup experience last year uh, with the Canadians. And then on the other side is Izzy, Izzy Rodriguez. Izzy's a freshman and has come in and just had what I would call a non-freshman season. She stepped on the field and uh, also came off a World Cup last year for the U.S. under 19s and um, has really just done a, a great job. You would never watch her play and think she was a freshman. Super smart, tactically, um, you know, just understands adjustments and understands the game at a, at a pretty deep level and uh, a natural left footer. And then sitting in front of her, obviously, Nikki Waltz, the midfielder of the year in the conference, um, a wonderful honor for her. You know, I, Nikki and I joked when I recruited her now almost five years ago, you know, she told me how important it was to win a championship and uh, I actually did something kind of funny. I collected all my championship rings and put them in a box and slid it across the table to her. I said, open it. You know, and she dumped out six rings onto the, onto the table. I said, well, I said, I know I think it's too about winning, winning championships. I think that uh, you want to try these on. And it was really a great moment for us. And when she won the championship, gave me a big hug and she said, I guess we get our ring. So uh, number seven's on the way. But um, she's been really solid for us. She sits in that six role, cleans everything up, very good in the air, and uh, as well as just a really good leader, one of our captains. Um, and then around her, Arden Holden and Sarah Roberts, uh, two other just very technical players. My whole midfield is actually from the West Coast, which, um, you know, I think it makes it really interesting. They, they play sort of with a different moxie. They play um, a lot in combination, maybe a little bit more so than you see in your normal Midwest players. And so – uh, it's re- just really brought a lot to the type of style that we can play. Um, and then up top, Sammy Edwards has really been uh, a blessing for us this year. Sammy's always kind of sat in the shadows of some of her other teammates, you know, Lindsay Agnew in particular, who she played club soccer with growing up. And, uh, you know, we sat down in the offseason and said, I said, Sammy, this is your year. There's nobody, you know, that you've got to be in the shadows of. So, you know, let's just let's have some fun and be really dynamic and you know, I think she's had five game-winning goals for us in conference alone um, you know had to be right up there for the runner-up in the conference player of the year on the offensive side uh, we just kind of fell short on that but you know she's really been the difference for us um, and then flanking her Eleanor Gabriel was a transfer to us from Tennessee has really found herself in this last offseason super quick uh, loves to get in line you know, could do it from the right side, could do it from the left side. And, um, you know, she's been really dynamic. So, you know, I'd say that's kind of the core. And then lots of other role players that have filled in at different times. But, um, you know, that's really been the group that we've worked on, um, you know, with since January to kind of come up with the way we want to play and uh, the kind of attacking that we want to be able to do. Phenomenal breakdown. So you bring that team into Grand Park, Indianapolis for the final four or the Big Ten tournament uh the semifinals on friday the championship game on sunday you play penn state a team that'll be hungry considering they finished fifth i don't think they've ever done that you've got some opinions on the true value of this tournament so go ahead and and let us hear that because knowing that you're going to be in the ncaa tournament you don't put a whole lot of stock in what this means if you're being honest Lori. well i mean i think i've been on both sides of it you know we've had the benefit of um, winning the Big Ten tournament and getting the automatic qualifier and moving on to the NCAA tournament. And so, you know, I fought to keep the tournament. But whenever we sit in, you know, the top one, two, or three positions, it's a really – it's a difficult um, place to sit because at this point um, we've done what we needed to over time in conference. We feel like we've proven ourselves there. And so, 
this tournament can really physically beat your players up. Um, I was watching the SEC tournament, you know, it started last night. And, you know, it's, it's sort of the opposite of what science will tell you. At this time of the year, you know, you really need more rest. You need to um, really be watching the load that, you know, is being put on your players. And we're really dumping a bunch of games that usually are pretty intense into a small period of time. And so, you know, it just really depends on what your objective is, what your goal is. And, and I believe that our team is strong enough that, We'd like to make a run at a national championship. And when that's your goal, when that's your objective, when you're strong enough to be able to do that, you know, these conference tournaments um, can kind of sometimes get in the way. You know, we're obviously going to go out there. We're going to compete. We never want to play to lose. But, you know, it just is – it it makes it a little bit more challenging. So um, I think you'll see us subbing a little bit more than we normally would. And, you know, just trying to keep our players fresh and and make sure that we don't lose our tempo and lose our rhythm. Well, you think about Penn State, knowing uh, that they also know they're in, but they're also maybe a little bit hungry, a little bit angry, a little all of the above. What do you got to do to try to knock off a Penn State team, a, a rematch of a great game that you guys played against each other this year? Well, that was an early game, and, and you know, I think um, we're both very different teams right now. Uh, some injuries have changed things for both sides, and... You know, I think that as far as preparation to go into the NCAA tournament, you know, what what better way um, to measure yourself is playing against a Penn State, you know. And I I find it funny everybody says, oh, they're angry. Well, I mean, you know, they finished fifth, and many of us have finished fifth. I don't know why that would make them any more angry. Um, You know, they're a good team, and they're going to do well as they move forward. But, um, you know, a lot of teams have stepped up and aren't really in that intimidated place anymore of a a, a single team. You know, we're seeing this uh, across conferences where – um, you know, the, the dominant team over the years is, is being challenged by others. And so I think it's a wonderful time in college soccer, you know, to see the likes of Texas and, you know, to see Duke winning the ACC. I mean, there's, there's just a lot that's happening across the country, and um, there's a lot of parity. So I think it's a really fun time to, to be a fan of college soccer. You're hearing the voice of Lori Walker Hawk. She's plug and play, folks. She's unbelievable. She's worked the Olympics, World Cups, big time USA games as a commentator, and you can't be surprised when you hear her answers. Let's go back to those seven rings. Break all seven down for me, please. Well, we uh, I was fortunate. I mean, you know, when you go to the University of North Carolina in the early days, um, championship rings was a big part of of what we did there, and so. Um, I was fortunate to be there from 88 to 92 and, you know, be part of what we call the Mia Hamm era. Uh, as the goalkeeper in front of Mia Hamm, I didn't have to do very much. Um, so, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it's very different. My last year in college was um, the last year that you could actually play the ball back to the goalkeeper and we could pick it up. So I guess I'm dating myself there. Um, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it was, it was a long time ago and it was a lot of fun. And then, you know, we've won uh, – a couple of Big Ten tournament championships, and then obviously in 2010 when we went to the Final Four, uh, we also were co-champions um, of the Big Ten that year in the regular season. So that's six, and uh, this year we get the seventh. So, you know, it's it's a great honor. It's always um, very humbling, you know, to think of what your team has done, and you, know, you get those rings much, much later, and it's wonderful to look back on that. And, you know, like I said, I keep them all together in a box, and so when I bring them out, it's it's a pretty special thing uh, to kind of think back on each team and, and remember, you know, what made that particular team special. So I'm, I'm super proud of this group. And, um, you know, we all know in college sport, that's really the, the thing we all play for, you know, the ability to hold a trophy up and, and, uh, and get a ring. For those people that might be hearing your story for the first time, here's what I'm looking for, Lori. The elevator speech that said, hey, I want to go to North Carolina, and then from there I want to be a coach. I did that 
cup of coffee at Kansas. Then I went to Ohio State. And wrap it up by saying, did you think you'd be at Ohio State 20-plus years? Give us that quick elevator, please. Oh, no, I definitely did not think that would happen. Um, you know, I just have um, – I feel like I'm one of those people that just tries to prepare for when opportunity comes knocking. I, I had no intentions of being a college coach. You know, and, and one day outside of what we called the hut at North Carolina, I ran into April Heinrichs, and, um, you know, she was the coach at the University of Maryland, and it just kind of fell into my lap that I became an assistant coach there straight out of college. So wonderful opportunity to be there for three seasons with April. And at the time, you know, everything was exploding, and um, lots of jobs were opening up. I was super young, inexperienced, but, um, you know, I was watching people all around me, you know, get these amazing jobs, and the University of Kansas came calling, and, uh, you know, Roy Williams was there as the – the basketball coach, North Carolina Connection, and Bob Frederick was the athletic director there, and it just felt like the right choice to go and start my career. So really fortunate to be surrounded by some amazing people. I mean, I made some brutal mistakes in my, my first couple of years as a head coach. And then, uh, you know, coming to Ohio State, for me, it was um, I wanted to be a little closer to home. My family's still in New York, and um, this job opened up, and I had no concept of the magnitude, you know. Um, obviously, I knew the Ohio State-Michigan rivalries, you know, watching football, as a kid, but you, know, you come here and you get to really see what the Big Ten is all about. And, you know, last weekend's football game with Penn State and Ohio State is a great explanation as to what it all means. So it's really been amazing, and it, it is, it's very hard to believe that uh, it's been 21 years. And now it's home, right? I mean, I feel like if UNC called you up and said, hey, we want you to replace Anson, you'd probably take that job. But short of that, I think Columbus, Ohio is where your heart is now. Well, first of all, I don't know who wants to be the man that follows the man. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, I don't see Anson retiring anytime soon, and nobody wants that uh, that role and being, uh, you know, the one that tries to follow that guy. He's amazing and was well before his time. So, you know, it would be an honor, and certainly I've got great uh, passion for Chapel Hill, but, you know, this is where my home is. This is where my husband's from, and, um, you know, I, I really love being here, and, and this is where I envision myself retiring one day. Uh, you touched on it uh, as we wrap up our interview with Lori Walker-Hawk. It's been a delight as well. But the the boom right now for women's soccer, and you think about uh, even your team and how it is really making the international scene so much better, not just for the USA. I mean, Mexico's getting better. Canada's getting better. New Zealand's getting better as they play the college game. Your thoughts on the impact of the college game on the international stage? Well, I still think that, you know, women's college soccer is a wonderful venue for player development. Um, you know, we have tremendous resources at the university level. There's a lot of science that's at our disposal, and um, I think that we really do a great job of helping players to understand their bodies, learn about nutrition, you know, learn about recovery, um, you know, learn the, the, the physiology really behind being a soccer player. And, and, you know, we've prepared players to go on and, and be professionals. We've prepared players to go on and play internationally. You know, Laura Dickenman is still out there competing. Um, you know, was here with us in, in 2004 and you know, was playing with her uh, international team in Switzerland. And, you know, there's, there's probably 10 or 12 of us that are out there still playing. And so, you know, it's a, a wonderful environment, and I still think it's one of the highest levels. Um, I think we stuff it into a very small period of time, which makes it challenging. But, um, you know, it's a super high level, and I think the quality, and you know, everybody calls it the modern game. Um, you're certainly seeing that in college soccer. There's people playing big, expansive pretty soccer and um you know i think it, it's it's pretty exciting the way that the game continues to develop and the united states should remain in the forefront with college soccer kind of propping it up okay so here we end it you were a big time player big time coach big time analyst now you're married 
I'm pretty sure that calling the USA-Sweden game with me is one of your top memories as I laugh inside. What's your greatest memory during all of that time, Lori? If I had to pin you down, you can only pick two or three. Well, one of them for me definitely was participating as an analyst in the, the Olympics in Athens, Greece, and being able to be there um, in the country. And I think we were there 26 or 28 days. You know, as an athlete, that's always been the thing that um, – you know, you kind of hang your hat on as ought to be an Olympian. And clearly my time had passed. And so to be a part of the Olympic broadcasting team for me was super special and uh, will be something that I'll always cherish. Um, you know, I, I value my time as a Tar Heel. You know, they, I, they never would have let me in that university if it wasn't for my soccer. So uh, <laughs> I value my education that I, that I got there. And, um, you know, the, the four national championships that I won there and the amazing people and players that I was surrounded by and, Everything I learned from Anson and Bill Palladino, I think, really helped frame who I've become as a coach. And so, um, you know, I'd say that's probably the other one. And then for me, one of the most special times as a coach was being in Cary, North Carolina, just a stone's throw from Chapel Hill in our first Final Four, you know, and standing up there at a private moment up in the press box and just seeing the Ohio State logo out there on the field. Um, you know, it really brought tears to my eyes. It's a amazing accomplishment to kind of come full circle with that. And, and um, you know, I'd say those are sort of my top three memories at this point. I'm glad you picked that last one. I remember shaking your hand in Cary as uh, underneath my jacket. Don't tell anybody, but you know me well enough. I had the scarlet and gray Ohio State Buckeye shirt on. I don't know if you remember I showed it to you as I shook your hand. I think you might uh, and certainly was so proud to have you in Cary as well, making the Final Four. Who knows? You could be back in the Final Four in Orlando this year. What do you think? Possibility good? Well, it's, uh, you know, I think it's, it's a special team and it's really, um, it's fun to watch them and, you know, you never compare one team to the next, but uh, this group has stepped up to every single challenge that we've ever presented to them. So, um, you know, we're, we're talking about it at all. You know, there's a lot of luck that comes into play at this point in the season, but I certainly think that we're a strong enough side to represent Ohio State at the Final Four. It would be a, you know, a really amazing opportunity. Lori, thanks for being with us on the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. My pleasure. Thank you. Good luck to Lori Walker and the Ohio State University Buckeyes on Friday against Penn State. Coming up, another member of our illustrious United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30. It's Molly Paletto, assistant coach for Nancy Feldman. Is she great or what? at Boston University. It's Molly Paletto next on the United Soccer Coaches podcast presented by Team Snap. Looking for ways to improve your training sessions? Quick Goal has supplied the highest quality soccer goals, seating, field, and training equipment for over 30 years. From backyards to the world's greatest pitches, Quick Goal has products essential for every level of the game. As an official partner to the United Soccer Coaches and technical partner to U.S. Soccer, Quick Goal knows what equipment you need to take your game to the next level. Visit quickgoal.com to satisfy all your equipment needs. Welcome back to the United Soccer Coaches Podcast. What a great visit we just had with Lori Walker. has got the Ohio State Buckeyes number one in the Big Ten and number nine in the country. And she's been 20 years plus at Ohio State. Nancy Feldman's been 23 years at Boston University. She's had some big-time assistant coaches as well. Casey Brown, one of the original members of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 played for her there, joined her staff before moving on. Well, guess what? She's got another member of the United Soccer Coaches 30 Under 30 on her staff. Are you surprised? I'm not because Nancy Feldman knows how to find quality people, and she also knows the value of the United Soccer Coaches. And with all of that, we introduce to you Molly Paletto, assistant coach at Boston U for the women's team. Molly, delighted to be with you. 
Dean, thanks so much for having me. Well, it's pretty cool. You're a 30 Under 30 member, and you work for Nancy Feldman. That's a pretty good double. Yeah, yes, it is. I, uh, I think I got pretty lucky. Well, let's talk about uh, your path as well. You grew up in Colorado, one of my favorite parts of the world, having lived out in Colorado for several years. And then uh, you go to Utah to play. You have some injuries, and right away you decide you're going to be a coach. Talk about that transition because you were a pretty good goalkeeper, I understand. How hard was it to hang up the gloves and the shoes and become a full-time coach? You know, the, the transition from uh, being a player uh, to a coach was, was definitely challenging. Thankfully, I had a really good opportunity um, at the University of Utah with Rich Manning, and um, he allowed me to, to stay on and kind of learn the, the ropes of coaching and really be able to help um, guide me in, into what has turned into my, obviously, future career, but also passion. Um, but at the time, um, it definitely was a, a, a rough patch. I uh, had some short-term memory that dropped to, like, 3% processing speed below that. And um, there are definitely some moments of doubt, uh, but thankfully I was surrounded by phenomenal medical staff, coaching staff that uh, allowed me to um, – provide resources that helped me realize that playing was only uh, something I did and that I would be able to still be involved in, in the game um, that I love. And, and it really actually worked out, I think, a blessing in disguise. Um, obviously, it's taken years to get to that point, but I really do think it was a blessing in disguise uh, how everything happened so I could uh, become become a coach and give back to the soccer community. Yeah, clearly a blessing but how were you able to convince each other, I guess, right? I mean, how were you able to say, you know, because, you know, a lot of players that were dealing with con concussion issues, knowing their career was over, like, all right, I'm just going to study or I'm going to go do something different. How were you able to connect the dots and say, no, I want to stay in the game? That's a great question. And to be honest, the, the, the first answer that comes to mind is I think because I'm a little stubborn and um, I – I couldn't believe or wrap my head around uh, the fact that somebody was going to tell me that I wasn't able to play um, because I knew that college was a stepping stone and I had aspirations to play after the fact. And um, I kind of probably held on to hope uh, a little too long. That made the transition more challenging. Uh, but I do think that I knew I had a passion for I would I, growing up, I knew I'd like to coach at some point. It just came, obviously, a lot earlier than planned. Um, so it was already in the back of my mind. Uh, and then when the opportunity was presented, uh, some people helped me see that this is a really good opportunity and time to, to pursue the coaching path. And I, I think I got over the stubbornness and, and, decided, and really tried to embrace what was in front of me and um, continued to figure out what the next step was or the next play to not get stuck in um, the injury or the – transition process well part of your process also was education you got a degree in communications and a minor in psychology and then would later go on to get your master's in sports psychology last spring which i think is important as a coach right because you're dealing with a lot of personalities and i think we can even say in, in the women's game as well right uh, that's so important to understand what uh, the young women are going through in school and relationships and everything else Exactly, exactly. And I really felt that um, being able, when I realized I was 
making progress that I could potentially pursue a graduate degree. Uh, the sports psychology obviously uh, stood out to me just in terms of the, as a player, the mental toughness side of everything. But then I realized as a coach how important that it can be and how much it complements you know, what we do on the field and just how we structure the environment or certain activities or interaction with the players uh, to be able to drop some uh, some sports psychology techniques into their daily routine, and sometimes they recognize it, and sometimes they're like, "Oh, I, you know, I, I tried this, and, and it really helped them," um, which is always good feedback uh, from from the players. All right, so here you are. You're working out there with Rich Manning and Scott Hallis, and you have a big time year last year. You helped guide number sixteen yep. Utah to its first ever NCAA Sweet Sixteen appearance, and. You could just keep on rolling with the Utes, right? What made you say, you know what, I want to look around. I want to go all the way to the East Coast. Why'd you do that? Um, you know, we, we did have a great season. It was a great group of uh, young women, and um, it was great timing in terms of having a good season and also finishing my degree. And I knew I always wanted to go East for a little bit. Um, I guess I picked the farthest east place before jumping the pond, um, but Boston opened up and, and, and the city heard great things. I heard great things about uh, Nancy and the program and um, so decided to, to look into it because I did want to be able to go out east after spending really my entire life um, out west as, as a player and even coaching, uh, you know, club in Region 4, wanting to expand my network. And it was a good time in my life, uh, you know, being younger to be a little bit further from the family and uh, embark on a, on, on a new adventure. And uh, I'm grateful that the opportunity worked out here at BU. All right. Well, you know the deal. You've got 10 wins, but uh, I think uh, if we're calling it straight, you probably got to win the Patriot League tournament to get to the NCAAs, a place that – Boston University had been so many years. They missed it last year trying to get back. Now, in order to win it, your first obstacle was Bucknell. And how funny is that? Lee Howard was on last week. She's a member of the 30 Under 30, and she's an assistant coach for Coach Cook there at Bucknell. So we've got a couple of 30 Under 30 superstars on the bench, both teams probably needing a win right on Friday. Correct, correct. Yeah, and when we, we were down there to uh, for our last game, um, or second to last game, and we were talking, and we, we actually were speaking about you know how we were both getting ready for the podcast, and so we've actually, um, especially since the 30 under 30, been in uh, frequent contact with each other, just um, you know talking about some of the things within the program, and then also just checking in and seeing how everyone's doing, um, and we get to to go hang out uh, on, on the sidelines a little bit on Friday. Well, what's uh, Boston you got to do to knock off Bucknell to make it to the final game of the Patriot League tournament? I think it's going to, to be one of, you know, setting the tone um, from the start with, with the energy, but also the, the, the composure um, and, and unity throughout, you know, the 90 minutes or, you know, plus overtime or a shootout um, and, and making sure that we stick to our style uh, on both sides of the ball and not letting the, the moment or, or the opponent uh, dictate anything, but really sticking to what we believe our style is and what we believe is our effective style and continuing to, to compete in, in a disciplined and, and composed way, I think is going to be really important for us to be successful on Friday. So we know what you want out of that game on Friday. What do you want out of being a member of the 30 under 30? What's important to you to soak in? 
I think one is definitely uh, the, the relationships that um, we are getting with uh, each other as the peers of the, the 30 under 30 class. But I also have really enjoyed working uh, with, with my mentor and um, being able to stay uh, in close contact. But I, I'm really excited to venture. This is really my big dive into the United Soccer Coaches uh, program, um, you know, minus going through the level one goalkeeping online diploma. And so really being able to become a part of the the organization and hopefully look to, to give back. And, and I think the education component really sticks out to me and being able to be involved with it as a recipient and then hopefully uh, be able to obviously spread what I learned immediate in my direct uh, field, but also be able to uh, become more involved in, in the organization and, and, and look to help the soccer community. Finally, Molly Paletto, if you've listened to this podcast and we think you have, you know I like to throw this question in there every once in a while. Five, ten years from now, Molly Paletto will be doing what? Ah, uh, yes. Um, either a head coach for a Division One, or making my way back uh, to Denver being a coach at some collegiate level back in Colorado. All right, God's Country could be calling. In the meantime, you get to work with Nancy Feldman and the gang. Please send them my best. Good luck on Friday against Bucknell, and uh, good luck in uh, your ventures for becoming a head coach. Pleasure getting to know you, Molly. Certainly enjoyed my time with you. Dean, thanks so much. Have a great day. All right, Molly, I will have a great day because this has been a great show. I want to thank the great folks of the NASL for kicking it off. Rob Kehoe, the director of college programs for the United Soccer Coaches. Lori Walker, the head coach of the Ohio State women's soccer team. They won the Big Ten. They're number nine in the country. They face Penn State in the Big Ten semifinals on Friday. And then, of course, you just heard from Molly Paletto. For all the good folks at the United Soccer Coaches, you know your name. Sean Chevrolet, Kurt Austin, Ashley Goodrich, Rob Kehoe, Jeff Van Dusen, Ian Barker, Lynn Burling Manuel, Pat Madden, Steve Veal, all of you. Each and every one of you are fantastic. And so are you, all the members of the United Soccer Coaches. Next week, we talk men's college soccer and so much more the united soccer coaches podcast presented by team snap i'm dean linky see you next week the nscaa is now the united soccer coaches we aren't changing who we are just what you call us start your free no risk trial membership today go to unitedsoccercoaches.org slash join today